Amen. Thank you, Keith, for that oldie but goodie. If you have your Bibles tonight, would you open them, please, to Exodus chapter 15. On Sunday night, we're in a sermon series entitled Circle of Influence. There is no self-made man. There is no self-made woman. Every one of us here tonight have been touched by God, touched by other people. We have been shaped by heaven. We've been shaped by earth to be who we are. Whether that be positively or negatively, the fingerprints of God and the fingerprints of others are all over our lives. Moses was a great man of God, one of the greatest men of God who ever lived. And as we go through this series called A Circle of Influence, we're looking at people who put their hand on Moses and helped make him a Hall of Famer for Jesus. So far we've seen that God had his hands on Moses. And Moses' parents had their hands on their son. And tonight we're going to see that Moses had a sister. Her name was Miriam. And she had a part to play also in who he would become and what he would do for the Lord. In Exodus chapter 15, I want us to look at a couple of songs. In chapter 15, verse 1, it said, Moses and the men of Israel sang a song. Verse 1 of chapter 15, Then sang Moses and the men of Israel this song unto the Lord. And they sung, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has he thrown into the sea. And then, if you read verse 2 all the way down to verse 19, the song continues. It's a long song, but it's a song. And when Moses is through leading the men, his sister picks it up. It says in verse 20, And Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron and Moses, took a timbrel in her hand, and all of the women went out with her with the timbrels, and they danced unto the Lord. And Moses answered them and said, Sing you also unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has he thrown into the sea. In Exodus chapter 15, we're entering into a song service. The Israelites are singing songs of praise to God Songs of praise to God for his deliverance of them from the land of Egypt and for his victory over the Egyptians for them at the Red Sea. As I told you earlier in the first 18 verses, Moses and the men are singing. It was a segregated congregation. And then Miriam, his sister, leads the women in a song of praise, and a dance unto the Lord. Now, I don't know the melody 
of the songs that they sang. I don't know the beat of the instruments that were played. But I know this. These were songs of rejoicing. And this was music of celebration. This was Christian party music, ladies and gentlemen. And now tonight what I want us to do is I want us to take a moment to look at Moses' sister, Miriam. She is a fascinating character. And she positively affected Moses' life. But also, she negatively affected his life. But we're going to look at the total picture. So tonight, our focus is on Miriam, the sister of Moses. Now, there's some things I want to share with you about her. First of all, I want you to know that she was a smart girl. She was a smart girl. In Exodus chapter 2, her parents... Fearing Pharaoh was going to kill their baby boy, their new baby boy, have had to make a decision. They decide that rather than have Pharaoh kill him by throwing him into the river and having the crocodiles eat him, as Pharaoh decreed for all the Hebrew boys that are born to have happened to them, Moses' parents decided they would make an ark a miniature ark, a basket, if you will, that could float. And they would put Moses, their son, into that basket and they would float him down the Nile River. We learn that as baby Moses is in this ark, this little boat, this little basket, and he's floating down the Nile River, we learn in Exodus chapter 2, that Miriam, his older sister, is watching him from the bank. I can almost picture in my mind, as the the basket's floating, she's walking on the bank and she's watching her little baby brother as he floats down the Nile River that's infested with man-eating, anything-eating crocodiles. She watches... As the basket floats by Pharaoh's daughter, who just happens, just happens, to be bathing in the Nile River with her attendants. And as the basket floats by Pharaoh's daughter, she sees it. She asks as one of her attendants to retrieve the basket. She opens the basket and she discovers that there is a baby inside. He's not just a baby, he's a boy baby. And he's not just a boy baby, he's a Hebrew boy baby. The very kind of baby that her father, the Pharaoh, had said, shall not live, they'll be fed to the crocodiles. Well, Miriam sees that. And quickly, she runs to Pharaoh's daughter. And she says to Pharaoh's daughter, can I find you a nanny to help you take care of this little Hebrew boy that you're going to raise? Now, don't you like that? She didn't ask Pharaoh's daughter, do you want him? She didn't ask Pharaoh's daughter, do you love him? She didn't ask Pharaoh's daughter, what you going to do with him? She ran up there and said, 
Can I find somebody to help you take care of him? And Pharaoh's daughter said, you go find somebody. I'll need some help. Don't you love her psychology? I mean, that's a smart cookie. She used a salesman's technique on Pharaoh's daughter, and Pharaoh's daughter didn't even know it. She communicated to her, this is what you're to do. You ever been to a car lot to buy a car? And the car salesman comes up to you? He doesn't ask you, do you want a car, does he? He doesn't ask you that. He says, what color do you want? What kind of options do you want? What kind of financing are you looking for? Where do you want your payments to be? Are you going to make a trade? You see, he approaches you with the psychological technique. You're already going to buy the car. He's just there to help you do that. And Miriam comes to Pharaoh's daughter and, and she makes the assumption to Pharaoh's daughter, you're going to keep the baby. Oh, look how adorable he is. I know you're going to keep him. Can I help you find somebody to raise him? Oh, she was a smart girl. But not only was she a smart girl, she was a spiritual girl. She not only had brains, she had a heart for God. Miriam did not go to the Nile River. She did not follow her brother floating in that basket to watch him get eaten by crocodiles. She went there to see her God do a mighty work. Have you ever thought about that? Here is a, a, a young girl, and there's her little brother floating in that river infested with crocodiles, and she's following and she's watching. Well, why was she following and watching? Did she come to see her baby brother eaten by crocodiles? Oh, no. She came to see her God do a great work. She came to see what God could do with a situation that seemingly was impossible because all things are possible with God. You know, many people watch and pray for God to do a mighty work, but they really don't believe that God will or God can. I hope you're not one of them, but you know, there's many people who watch for God to do something, who pray for God to do something. But in their mind of mind and hearts of hearts, they don't really believe that God can or God will. And when God does, they're the first ones who are surprised. I think of Acts chapter 12, one of the, one of the funniest stories in the Bible. Peter is in prison. He's going to be executed. The saints get together and they begin to pray that God will deliver him. God will free him from prison. God will save his life. Well, God heard and answered their prayers while they're in the prayer meeting. And the angel of the Lord comes and, and frees Peter. 
escorts him through the jail to the outside, brings Peter to the very house where the saints are praying. And Peter knocks on the door during the prayer meeting. And one of the girls that's in the prayer meeting comes to the door, peeks out there and says, that looks like Peter, but it can't be Peter, he's in jail. Who are you? I'm Peter. You can't be Peter. We're praying for Peter. Peter's in jail. You're an imposter. He says, no, I'm Peter. Go back and tell him I'm Peter. Let me in. So she goes back. Can you picture that in your mind? She goes back. Okay. And here comes about another dozen people. Look like the, the Beverly Hillbillies. And they're peeking through the little blinds too. You ever seen when your daughter's going on her first date and all the family wants to see the fella come in? They all poking out there. Well, they're all poking out the blind. They're looking. You got about a dozen heads are looking. And, there's, and, and the Peter's out there saying, it's me, let me in. And they're all saying, it can't be him, we're praying for him. But it looks like him, sounds like him. Finally, they let him in. Can you imagine they're having a prayer meeting, but they can't believe God heard and answered their prayers. And ladies and gentlemen, we're just like that so often. We pray for things, we pray for people, we pray for ourselves, and then we're the first one who's surprised when God does something. Miriam was smart. She used psychology on Pharaoh's daughter to get Pharaoh's daughter to raise Moses. She was spiritual. She believed that her God could and would. And she followed that little basket not to see a baby eaten by crocodiles. She came to see a God do something that was miraculous. Miriam was also not only smart and spiritual, and her fingerprints are on Moses' life as a baby, but also she was a studious girl. Not just a smart girl, not just a spiritual girl, but she was a studious girl. I want you to put your thinking caps on. Where did she learn the social skills that she employed, deployed on Pharaoh's daughter? Where did she learn that kind of psychology? Because that's pretty sharp. Where did she learn to trust God no matter what? Did she learn that in the public school? I don't think so. Did she learn it from the government? I don't think so. Did she learn it from the mainstream media? She learned her smarts. She learned her spirituality from her parents. She was a student of what her parents said, more importantly, what they did. She got her street smart, she got her social skills, and she got her spiritual depth from her parents who taught her those things. And she learned her lessons well. Miriam was taught at a very early age that she came from God. She didn't come from so, some pool of goo. She wasn't kin to a monkey's uncle. She wasn't some spaceman's lunch left behind. She was a creation 
of God. She came from God. She also learned at a very early age from her parents that God had a plan and a purpose for her life. She also learned that she could make a difference for God. She didn't have to be a midget. She could be a giant for Him. And she learned every bit of that. She learned every bit of that from her parents, maybe grandparents, maybe aunts and uncles who influenced her with what they taught her with their lips and with their life. And she never forgot what she was taught. Those lessons would follow her to the day she died. What a child thinks about himself or herself. What a child believes that they can be and have and do largely comes from their parents and grandparents and family. If you got parents that tell you you're somebody, you'll be somebody. If you got parents who tell you you're nobody, you will live up to their prognosis. If you have parents that tell you you're special, you'll believe that. If you have parents that tell you you're a piece of junk, you'll believe that too. If you have parents who teach that you're valuable, you will be valuable. If you have parents that tell you you're just a cheap trinket, you'll be that. If you have parents that tell you you're smart and you can live for God, chances are you will. And if you have parents that tell you you're stupid and ugly and are worth nothing, you will fulfill their prophecy. Parents and grandparents, God gives us those little ones to shape. And what we say to them and how we act around them sends them messages that they will learn. And it will shape who they will become and what they'll have and what they'll do, not just in this life, but for all eternity. Miriam was a smart girl. She knew people skills, she knew psychology and she employed it on Pharaoh's daughter. She saved her brother's life. She was a spiritual girl. She believed that her God was able. Do you believe your God is able? How big is your God? Her God was big enough to take care of her brother floating on the Nile River and crocodiles all around him. She was a studious girl. I don't know how much formal education she had, but she learned from her parents and her grandparents and her family that she was special and she could be something and she became that. But she wasn't perfect. Miriam was also a sinful girl too. Now there was Moses... There was his brother Aaron, and there was Miriam. These three, all from the same family, were chosen by God. Not by man, they were chosen by God to be the ones who would lead the Israelites out of Egypt. 
to the promised land. God gave them their position. God gave them their responsibility. God appointed Moses to be the one who would be the overall leader of the Israelites. He was the president, if you will, of the Israelites. The buck would stop with him. He would directly communicate with God. He would directly communicate with God. He would get a word from God, and he would lead according to God's word. Miriam was to be the prophetess. She was responsible for the women's ministry of the Israelites. She was the Debbie Dunlap of the Israelites. And she was to lead the women in praise and worship to God. She was to lead the women as a righteous example of what a woman was to be for His glory. Aaron was chosen to be the high priest. And he was to lead all of the Israelites in worship to God. They didn't get together and choose this among themselves. God gave them their position. God gave them their responsibility. Moses, you're head of everything. Miriam, you're the prophetess. You're in charge of the women's ministry. Aaron, you're the high priest. You're in charge of the worship of God. But in Numbers chapter 12, and you might just want to read that a little bit later. We don't have time to read the whole chapter. But in Numbers chapter 12, Miriam loses her spiritual cool. This woman who was smart, this woman who was spiritual, who walked with God, this woman who was a student of what her parents taught her about social, spiritual things, she loses her spiritual cool. Have you ever lost your spiritual cool? I know you haven't, but suppose you did. Ever said something you shouldn't say? Ever done something you shouldn't do? I, I probably just a few of you have. Well, she did. What was her problem, Pastor? Well, Moses' first wife passed away. She died. And Moses was lonely. Moses wanted a companion. Wanted, Moses wanted a helpmate. And so Moses searched for a second wife. He found a second wife. She was an Ethiopian woman. And he married her. The woman was a godly woman. She was a good woman. She would do well for Moses. And there's no doubt in my mind that Moses, who had a direct line with God, had asked God's permission to marry her, and God gave it. Moses married an Ethiopian woman. She was godly. She was good. Pastor, what's the problem? She was black. And Miriam had a problem with that. Miriam had a problem with the fact that Moses would marry a woman that was not his color, that was not his class, was not his culture, was not from his race, that was not from his place. 
dare him to do that? Who gave him permission to do that? Can you hear the sarcasm from her? Big sister talking to little brother. Who in the world gave you permission to marry her? Don't you know I'm the prophetess? Don't you know I'm over the women's ministry? Don't you know I'm in charge of these gals? Why didn't you come to me and let me find you somebody? Why did you go out on your own and get somebody like her? Why didn't you consult me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know I have a say in this? She got up in her brother's face. She argued with him and she debated with him and she belittled him. But he would not budge. This was who he loved and this is who God said he could have. Now Miriam could have ended it right there. But she didn't. She was ticked off that he didn't give her the time of day and wouldn't change his mind. So Miriam, his own sister, one of the leaders of the ministry, chose to challenge Moses publicly. She took a private matter and she chose to make it a public matter. The Bible says she went around to the Israelites murmuring. You know what murmuring means? It means to say things that are nasty and untrue. And she began to say nastiness and untruths about her brother, the God-appointed leader of the Israelites. She was stirring up the people. She wanted them to rebel against Moses. She wanted Moses to be taken down a notch or two. He got too big for his britches. So she stirred the people up to take him down. You know, we still got some Miriams today in churches that try to do the same thing. They've got sin in their life. To cover up their sin, they go murmur to other people and try to point their problem at somebody else. Well, I want you to understand, whenever you start talking about people in a nasty, untrue way, you're on very dangerous ground when it comes to God. You better be careful what you let come out of your mouth when you talk publicly or privately about God's leadership and about God's men and women who make up the body He calls the church. That's why James spends an entire chapter talking about controlling your tongue. Because this tongue can get you in a lot of trouble, not only horizontally, but vertically. And God hears enough of it. And God struck Miriam with leprosy. God stepped right in and boom, hit her with leprosy. 
Leprosy has many symptoms and many conditions that go with it, but one of them is the skin of a leper will turn white. If she loves white so much, God says with a sense of humor, I'll bleach her white. And he did. When she looked in the mirror, she must have been terrified what she saw. Rough scales, big boils, and a skin that's absolutely white like an albino. And God did that to her publicly. Where there is public sin, God will bring public punishment. I wonder how many listened to Miriam and followed her after that. I can almost see her following, sinking back into the crowd and disappearing. God struck her with leprosy. And the only reason why she's not a leper for the rest of her life is because her brother Moses, who had a direct line with God, got on his hands and knees and asked God to be gracious and merciful to his sister. And God heard and answered his prayer and gave her leprosy only for seven days. And then God brought about her healing. May I say to you, the rest of her life, she served God faithfully. I I love stories with happy endings. This smart girl, this spiritual girl, this studious girl who became a sinful girl, God forgave her. And God allowed her to be a servant of His again, gave her a second chance. She took advantage of it. And she finished her life strong for God. Right beside Moses the rest of his life, doing the things that God had asked her to do without complaint or criticism. When you look at Moses' life, ladies and gentlemen, you see Miriam's fingerprints there. He owed his sister his life. His sister taught him about how big God could be. His sister was there to help him. And even though she made a mistake, we all do, he still loved her and stuck with her and stayed with her, and she stayed and stuck with him until the end. In closing, just a few observations I'll throw at you, and we'll call it a night. Observation number one, as we look at the life of Miriam, godly children are often a reflection of godly parents. Not always, but often. I've seen godly parents have ungodly children. I've seen ungodly parents have godly children. So there are exceptions to every rule. But by and large, our children and our grandchildren are a reflection. In giant size or miniature size of parents and grandparents. We teach our children and our grandchildren with our lips and with our life. Observation number two, 
faith sees the size of God and not the size of problems. How many people believed that Moses was going to come out of that basket alive? Probably not a great deal. Probably most of the family and most of the friends that knew he was in that basket floating down the Nile River had already contacted the funeral home, was preparing for his funeral. But his sister, she wasn't watching crocodiles, she was watching Christ. And she wasn't looking for a murder, she was looking for a miracle. And God gave it to her. Faith does not see things as they are. Faith sees things as they can be. Observation number three. Singing and dancing, when it is modest and appropriate, is a way to worship God. Singing and dancing are ways of expressing worship to God. If it's done modestly, if it's done appropriately, if it's done rightly, it is an acceptable form of worship. That's why we sing here. There's a purpose why we sing. It's not just so we can kill 30 minutes before I preach. God inhabits the praise of His people. And what Keith does and others do with Him is they lead us in praise that He will inhabit us tonight. Why we have our drama team come and perform some of the most outstanding drama dances I've ever seen. Hats off to our drama team and, and the instructors they have that teach them. They put on a first class performance. It's a spiritual message, but it's dance. You understand that, don't you? Fourthly, prejudiced and murmuring are grave sins in the eyes of God. And all of us have prejudice. Look up here. There's not one single one of us sitting here looking at me, and I'm looking at you, that doesn't have prejudice. Some of us are prejudiced against people because of the color of their skin, and that's the only reason. Some of us are prejudiced against people because they don't look like us. They don't talk like us. They don't act like us. Like we're supposed to be the standard of that. Some of us are prejudiced against people because they don't come from our class. They don't come from our culture. They don't come from our country. They don't have our creed. They don't have our code. They don't have our cause. And many times we use religion to justify it. Don't you think Miriam, being the prophet as she was, didn't pull the religious card on Moses? And say, our people always marry our people. Who gave you permission not to? Oh, I'm sure she did that. I want you to know God hates prejudice. God hates bias. God hates preferential treatment being paid to one person over another. However, it's demonstrated. 
And I want to commend this church. I'm going to stop right here. I want to commend this church as your pastor for being a church that's an open-door church. You're an open-people church. Everybody's welcome here, and everybody's made to feel welcome here. It doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter how you talk or how you act. It doesn't matter if you be rich or poor, pretty or ugly, big shot, little shot, or no shot. Everybody's important at Miles Road. And I hope that every one of you know that. And I hope that we'll always keep the climate of this church accommodating to everybody. Is this a white church or a black church? No, it's a church. And it's filled with God's people. May it always be so. And murmuring is a sin. If we're not careful, we can get caught up in that sometimes. There's many different ways to murmur using religion, again, as a guise. Hello, I got a prayer request for you. Let me tell you what. We need to pray for the key. You need to pray for key. Let me tell you why. I need some counsel about that sorry, do-nothing pastor. I don't know what to do with him. Oh, oh, we're so clever how we do things. Listen to me. Murmuring is a sin that will bring the judgment of God about as quick as anything. Make sure that what you say comes out of your mouth when you're talking about leadership and about people in this church. You Make sure you understand that. It's not about being perfect. It's not about everybody agreeing with everything. But it is important that we make sure that we uphold one another. I'm not perfect. You agree? I'm not perfect. Shake your head. You know that I'm not perfect. Can I let you in on a little secret? I'm just going to go ahead and let you in on it. You're not perfect either. So if you can live with my imperfections, I'll live with yours. And we'll get along fine. And I won't tell on you and you don't tell on me. And the rest of them out there think we're all perfect. Observation number five, God is gracious and merciful. He's a God of a second chance. You say, Pastor, I blew it. Welcome to the club. I think everybody in here has a membership card to the Blow It Club. But God is a God of a second chance, ladies and gentlemen. And God will give you a second chance just like he did Miriam. And then lastly, one lapse into wickedness does not define a life of righteousness. When you look at Miriam's biography, one incident in a lifetime of faithfulness where she failed, just one. When God looks at our life, He looks at the body of work. He doesn't look at one incident. One incident does not define who we are. Our whole life does. 
She blew it that day. She blew it that week. She blew it that month. But when you go to heaven and you look at her plaque in God's Hall of Fame, you won't see nothing about that. On that plaque will be faithful. A woman who shaped the life of her brother that he could become the man that he was for God. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.